So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I actually want to speak about the thing that is on the lips of many investors right now, and that is the subject of inflation. There's absolutely no question in my mind that in the years ahead, that inflation will crush many of the hard-earned gains that investors have. So what I want to focus on today is unpacking a little bit about why the topic of inflation matters so greatly to investors and certainly uh, at least three key takeaways on what you should be doing to position yourself effectively in the coming years. So the first thing I think that would be really useful for many people is actually understanding that inflation is, uh, you know, perceived as both good and bad. So, you know, it's very easy for us to initially talk about inflation like it's this terrible thing, but there's, there's always two sides of the coin. And, um, you know, this topic came up in my monthly tribal meeting last week with my members. And what I wanted to point out to people was that for some people, inflation signifies a struggling economy, whereas for others, people see it as signs of a prospering economy. Now, you know, a little bit of inflation is described as normal and healthy, and the government is constantly trying to pull levers in order to keep it at a certain level. But unfortunately, uh, sometimes economic reforms and ideas that the government have don't quite work out the way that they want. And, you know, really what we want to be aware of as investors is that obviously we can't control those things. So the journey for us as investors is how do we uh, make sure we position ourselves so that we minimize the vulnerabilities that we have, but also make sure that we position ourselves to take advantage of wealth building opportunities that inevitably present themselves uh, when we have economic turbulence as we are entering a phase right now. So that's the first thing, inflation, good slash bad, who knows. But in terms of what's happening in the world today, you know, last week and, you know, I'm sure we're going to continue to see it hitting the news, um, the Federal Reserve launched a high-risk effort to tame what has been described as the worst inflation since the early 1980s. And they've talked about potentially increasing interest rates over the short term up to seven times over the next year. Now, you know, the Federal Reserve and other national government banks all around the world have pegged their interest rates near zero since the pandemic struck two years ago. And, you know, it was inevitable that with the, you know, the flurry of extra cash in the world that we were going to see some inflation. You know, what the Federal Reserve is now saying is that, 
you know, they have a very difficult and narrow objective, which is how do they raise borrowing costs enough to slow down the runaway growth and price hikes, but tame the high inflation, not so much that it topples the economy into recession. Now, this is such a difficult job. And, you know, I feel that if you look back historically at actions taken by the government to to sort of manipulate or control things like this, they often overcorrect before they get it quite right. So there are lots of people in the world, lots of very smart economists who are talking about, you know, the yield curve of the bonds, things like that as being major indicators of, you know, recessions. But I think the, the point that I want to make is that it's not that inflation directly causes recessions, but it's you know, everything that goes on around that, that can trigger um, recessions if they're overdone. So with that in mind, I think what most economists are worried about is that inflation is already obviously very high. We've seen it reach as high as 7.9% in February, which as I pointed out earlier, is the worst that it's been in four decades. And with things going on with Russia and Ukraine and, and gas prices going through the roof, you know, experts in the economic field are definitely talking about potentially causing a recession. So, you know, higher rates, uh, interest rates will definitely reduce consumer spending on, you know, things that are interest rate sensitive. You know, for those of you who have been uh, watching, I've certainly been watching with interest, the things like the the car market and the secondhand car market and um, the use of credit cards, you know, those trends should in fact actually, you know, subside or reduce. Um, and, you know, eventually they're hoping that these sort of trends will reduce businesses' demand for workers and then slow pay rises and, you know, ease inflationary pressures. So I think at the moment right now, the chair Powell noted that there are about 1.7 jobs on average available for every one unemployed person. So, you know, there's a lot of people looking for staff right now and, having to compete on wages to get people, you know, get labor and get bums on seats. So obviously the Federal Reserve feels that the economy is robust enough to take the hit of those increased interest rates. But, you know, I think, you know, there's some common sense that needs to be applied here as well. And unfortunately, I think whenever you start to mess with the economy, it's not an exact science. It's really a little bit of trial and error as to whether the global economy, which will always uh, be impacted by decisions made out of the US, will be able to withstand seven rate hikes over the next 12 months or so is, is really unclear. And a little bit like the way that entrepreneurs measure different metrics in the business, you know, there's these thing called lag measures, which means that we can take actions in our business today, but we don't necessarily, you know, glean the full impact till some months later. I suspect it's, it's very similar with the economy. There are some things which the minute they're announced will have an immediate impact on consumers, their spending, sentiment, things like that. But I think there's also a series of things that probably happen a little while down the track, which is why it's really, really difficult to predict with any great accuracy what any actions of any government will have on the economy. So clearly things are, you know, a little bit beyond our control. There were a number of commentators and, and economists that came out last week that are really being very gloomy about the future, talking about potential recessions beginning in the next 
three to six months. And, you know, effectively investors who are, you know, accustomed to being able to accumulate easy money, who've really enjoyed the, you know, crazy growth in real estate and shares and and other rate sensitive assets, um, understandably are hoping that the government, you know, take action so that we have a very soft landing. I know here in Australia and New Zealand, the government have definitely done as much as they can to have as minimal impact on the local economy and particularly real estate. And certainly, even if we look back as far as the global financial crisis, there were a lot of preemptive measures taken to prevent us from experiencing the full scale of recessions that many other economies around the world experience. So, Look, I think things that are going to happen over the next two to five years are are anyone's guess, but there's no way that we could have had the, you know, the impact of something like the pandemic and not have repercussions. I think that uh, unfortunately, the way that governments have responded to, you know, the pandemic over the last couple of years has certainly shielded many of us from harsh economic circumstances and, you know, a lot of the government stimulus and the subsidies and the handouts that came from many governments to stop economies from completely disintegrating were necessary. And now we're in a situation where we're sort of bearing the the repercussions of that. So I think it's certainly something to be aware of. If you are an investor, I think you've really got to be looking at your portfolio from the place of where are my vulnerabilities. Now, the most obvious vulnerable people in our economy are those first home buyers, for example, that, you know, really pushed to buy a better class of real estate, whether it's investment or otherwise, and are now looking down the barrel of potentially, you know, higher interest rates, which on one hand could just mean mortgage repayments, which tip them over the edge, or potentially having to carry um, the very heavy load of negatively cash flowing investments. Now, there are some statistics that were put out over the weekend, which showed that In many countries, the percentage of households that are already experiencing stress as a result of, you know, what's happening right now in terms of economic turbulence and the threat of rising interest rates, they're already um, suffering. They're already finding it really difficult to cope. And if that's the case, um, how are they going to survive seven rate hikes over the next uh, potential, you know, 12 months to two years? So, you know, they're clearly the the most vulnerable part of the market. And, you know, when you're a, a new investor, there's just not too many things that you can do to insure against something like that other than keeping a super healthy cash reserve and being very, very mindful of creating a self-insurance around rising interest rates. For the rest of the investors who listen to this podcast, who are maybe further down the track, who have a either a portfolio of investments or are thinking more about how to navigate the turbulence. I think there's definitely some some key takeaways to be had right now. The first thing, which is something you'll have heard me speak about many times, number one is, you know, cash is really, it is king right now. Just as with uh, early investors or first homeowners, keeping adequate cash reserves is really important. 
I think a play of any variety as an investor to hope for speculative or or organic capital growth carries a much higher risk tag than usual. And when I say that, what I mean is that I still hear about and I'm still seeing a lot of people investing uh, from a place of fear of missing out or FOMO and paying for properties that are, you know, not really worth, you know, what they're paying, you know, often buying properties sight unseen, which by itself isn't a risk, but I I would I would really be cautioning investors who are continuing to chase the market right now, who are looking for deals where they're going to get, you know, double digit growth um, year on year in the coming 12 to 24 months. That's not to say that the market will tank, but I certainly think that putting all your eggs on those kinds of strategies doesn't make sense to me. It's, you know, now is the time for um, a defensive play, which brings me to my second point, which is I would be personally limiting the amount of economic sensitivity in my portfolio right now, um, which is, you know, really an extension of that be defensive. I think what I tend to see, especially with less experienced investors, is they're looking for a home run on every single investment that they do. They're looking for deals which are more than likely going to return them either a significant capital return or a significant cash return. And my suggestion is that this is a time more than any other to just be focusing on sustainability. Um, I think the market is going to cause a lot of grief and a lot of pain for investors who are leveraged to the hilt. I think that um, volatility will start to show its face um, in many real estate markets. And I think now is the time to be looking for the dull, boring bread and butter deals that just pay predictable cash flow um, or offer predictable growth through forced appreciation rather than speculation. So yeah, sustainability is really the the second I think key message that I want to kind of drive home. It's really hard when maybe you feel like you're a bit behind. I know I I speak to a lot of investors who they worry they haven't taken enough action till now. They see what's going on in the market and they feel like they have to make up for lost time. But I I still subscribe to, you know, you you can turn your ship around. You just have to be patient and you certainly don't want to rush investment decisions over the next, you know, five years simply to just get your foot in the market. So that would be the second thing. I think the third and final piece, which I've already really touched on uh, as an action step for people listening to this is, you know, look at your use of leverage and debt. And when I say that, I know that many investors like myself that own a lot of real estate, you know, feeling like the last five or so years has been pretty cushy. You know, for a long time, the the dialogue in the environment was, well, interest rates are close to, to nil and they you know, they're not going to go anywhere in a hurry. But I think we're suddenly at the beginning of a new kind of journey where we should expect to see interest rates rise. You know, Smarter investors have known that, you know, this environment wouldn't stay like this forever. The banks are certainly tightening the screws in in terms of their their lending criteria and I'm I'm experiencing that personally. But, you know, unfortunately if you're new to investing, if you're new to holding leveraged real estate, you haven't maybe gone through as many life cycles and you 
have or market cycles, I should say. And you also don't have the luxury of a, of a nice buffer of equity or cash behind you. So, you know, I would definitely be looking across the board, examining my debt position, looking at the impact of higher interest rates on my repayments. I would be looking at the stability of my income. If you are an entrepreneur who's, you know, had the, the the great fortune of thriving over the last couple of years because you happen to be in an industry that's, um, I guess, to some degree had some immunity from everything else going on, I'd be continuing to look at the, you know, predictability of your business income. And if you haven't already, start setting aside capital um, as, yeah, that self-insurance type security. I feel that there are a lot of entrepreneurs who have started recovering from maybe a couple of years of very dampened returns and they recognize the need to make up for lost time. And yeah, they're going out and making some pretty wild decisions about how to spend their money, whether it's rewarding themselves with, you know, really cool toys or, you know, trying to get a foothold in a property market that they recognize has, has gone completely silly over the last two years. So I think for the smart investors, the next few years will carry a lot of opportunity. I think, you know, you need to be asking yourself and examining all of your investment decisions through the filter of your investing rules. I've talked a lot about investing rules in past podcasts. So if you haven't tuned into those, now's the time. But I think now is the time also to be aligning with people that you know, like, and trust who have access to premium deal flow, who know how to pivot or adjust their investing strategies to suit the economic climate and who can, you know, either connect you to or give you an insider edge when it comes to developing investment gains through basically just finding opportunities in the market that are untapped, which do deliver those types of cash flows and returns that you can live with. So guys, this was a very meandering, probably slightly dry topic for some of you. You know, I'm certainly, I I don't like being a scaremonger, but what I would say to you is there's no question that, you know, it's not all rainbows and unicorns right now and, and you need to be playing a defensive game. So please, if you are interested in understanding more about alternative investments and why they are so well positioned for this kind of climate, please go back and have a look at some past episodes. Um, certainly what I love most about alternative investments that are backed by real property is they will thrive regardless of whether the market goes up, down or sideways. So if you're someone who cares about wealth and wealth building, you should have those on your radar. Anyway, guys, till next time, take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.